Hi, Explorers. Thanks for listening to Kids Who Explore Parent Edition. Come along with us as we cover all corners of raising kids in the outdoors. Have you ever had a bear encounter on one of your adventures? Some of us at Kids Who Explore personally have, and the rest of us have all heard your stories. Thank goodness we have companies like today's sponsor, Scab Belt, designing functional products to help keep us and our families safe on the trails. What's great about Scat Belt is they are simple to use bear spray belt that goes around your waist for easy and quick access to your bear spray. Their belts are breathable and comfortable for all seasons, activities, and types of clothing. They are slim fit, lightweight, and have a no bounce design. It's so comfortable, I don't even notice it when I'm running or biking. Now, when I'm at a campsite with my kids and they want to bike on the trails or walk to the outhouse, Scat Belt provides me the peace of mind and allows me to be hands-free to play with my children and enjoy the outdoors. Check out www.scatbelt.com or go to an outdoor gear store today to find one for yourself. Hi, I'm Lauren Rodick Everly, mama to a one and a half year old baby girl Collins. I'm happy to be your host today. Today, I welcome back Kim Titchener on the podcast for the third time. Hop on back to episode five and episode 15 to learn all about bear safety and wildlife safety while camping, respectively. Kim is the owner of Bear Safety and More Inc. and she's always a pleasure to learn from. Hi, Kim. Hi, Lauren. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Wonderful. I'm loving the fall. It's so pretty. And I love your fall background. It's perfect. <laughs> it looks just like this outside. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> lots of yellow, lots of yellow leaves. I wish I was on the East Coast for all the red, but that's okay. <laughs> I know. I know it does actually make a difference where you are, right? For the fall colors. It really does. It's like we have green and we have yellow. That's it. Yes. <laughs> so true. So we actually had to change our podcast recording day because you are going to Manitoba soon to work with the polar bears. So tell me all about that. Yes. So it's been a work in progress, I'd say, for the last few years and, of course, put on hold because of COVID-19. But Churchill, Manitoba, of course, is home to a community that lives with polar bears. And it is a major corridor for polar bear movement. And so these polar bears love to hang out there um, in the in the summertime and spring, summer and fall until the ice starts to come back. And then they head out onto those landscapes to, to, to feed and to hunt. And so the, during the summer and into the early fall, there's just these hungry polar bears roaming around waiting for food. And so this community is, is, is growing. There's more tourism. There's more people coming there. There's also um, more activity and more issues with polar bears because of climate change. It's taking longer and longer for that sea ice to come back for the winter. And so the bears are like, like waiting and waiting and they're starving and they need food. And so we end up with, unfortunately, sometimes conflicts where these animals are, you know, coming into the community, seeking out food. So Churchill is one of uh, many places that live that, where people live in the Arctic with polar bears. And it's a, a amazing opportunity for me. I'm going to be working with Polar Bears International and we're going to do the first ever polar bear hazard assessment that ever has ever been done in the world. Uh, terrifying. Oh my God. And hopefully I don't mess it up. And from there, then, um, you know, hopefully we'll work with communities across the Arctic to try to help them figure out ways to live safer with polar bears and help to sustain those populations. Wow, you were just incredible. <laughs> There's always something new and amazing happening. Yeah, I, do, I really hope people go back and listen to those other podcasts I talk about and take your courses that we always promote so heavily because you are amazing. You teach so much crucial knowledge for people to stay safe while they're adventuring. 
But some big takeaways we've talked about in the past is bear spray, making noise, being alert, keeping kids close, and keeping away heavy scents or foods. Are those the same kind of things when it comes to polar bears? For sure. I mean, uh, in, in polar bear country, you don't get to, you know, just walk out the front door and go down the street and just like not pay attention. It's not like here, right? Like the rest of the world has it very different. In polar bear land, you know, you've got to look out the window before you step outside because there could be a polar bear on your doorstep. Like you're literally living in a corridor where these animals are moving through. The kids don't have like Halloween, walking around the streets, going door to door to get candy. That would be extremely unsafe. In fact, on Halloween in 2013, uh, a woman was literally just walking down the street at nighttime and a polar bear came running at her and uh, she was mauled right in downtown Churchill. So it's really living with bears when it comes to these communities. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the kids have to do indoor, they do indoor Halloween in the school gym and they still get their candy. So it's, you know, it's still good to live in Churchill. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in that regard, all these safety tips we're talking about then, do they apply to other animals too? I know every animal is going to kind of have their different thing, but you and I were kind of trying a little bit about there's, well, you know what, what animal are we going to talk about next on the podcast? <laughs> sure, sure. Since we don't, since we're, we're most of the folks who, uh, who are, you know, members and followers of Kids Who Explore, most of them probably don't live with polar bears, but most of us do live in areas with large carnivores, right? And, you know, we we'll, maybe we should start with bears just because it is October. So the bears are still awake where you, you are in Seattle, um, you know, just outside of Seattle, you know, there's, there's cougars, there's black bears, like there are, there are other species out there. So, so I always remind people, think about where you live, what species live in the places that you're going to go and recreate in. Um, and um, bears are going to sleep in the fall and late fall. And unfortunately, people do actually get attacked by bears in winter. So if we're going to talk about winter wildlife safety, I thought, let's start with, with bears. For sure, it's extremely rare. You're like, what? You get attacked by a bear in winter? Sorry, Lauren. No, this is so important to talk about because... I went on a hike yesterday with a Kids Who Explore ambassador and her family, and we were talking about that because the hike we were going to go on, we looked at all trails, and the two days before, both people had commented saying they saw bears on the trail we were going to go on, and she said, oh, maybe they're getting ready for hibernation, that kind of thing, but I was like, people think that when bears hibernate, they don't wake up, they don't come out, but that's not true, right? So what no. does hibernation actually look like? When, yeah, so we call it denning. It's not a true hibernation. Um, their their blood pressure, their heart, their temperature, it does go down a bit, but not drastically like you see with some other species that are just basically like, you know, almost frozen lying there. These animals are still, um, they're not they're not able to urinate or defecate during the wintertime. They don't, they don't do that. They live off their fat storages while they're sleeping. There's no food. So there's no, they can't really stay awake because they would die of starvation. So they stay in a very like, they stay, stay inside those dead to and, and they're not moving around so they aren't expending as much calories they can be woken up you can you can step on a bear den or walk by a bear den and wake them up by accident if it's a mama who has cubs and they do give birth in the den I mean can you imagine oh. giving 
birth inside. Yes, this is like, you know, winter time comes and they're pregnant and they give birth in their den and they have to put up with these little babies crawling around and they're lactating all winter, feeding them while they're trying to get as much sleep as they can. And the cubs drive them crazy, I'm sure. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. If they get hot, um, this is one of the problems is, is sometimes we have things like Chinooks come through. So warm weather fronts that just push through, especially in the Rockies, we have it a lot. And it gets so warm that um, the snow will start to melt. Sometimes it melts into the dens and it floods them. So then they've got to get out of their den, pull that den apart, put a bunch of more needles and leaves and whatever they can find to try to get it dried out. And then they go back inside the den. And sometimes they'll lie outside the den and just basically try and cool off if it's very, if it's a warm day. And so people do. I myself have woke up a bear before. I was driving through Northern Ontario and just stopped on the side of the road, went for a walk with my dog. My dog starts barking. I'm like, what's wrong with you? And I look over and there's this black bear just like, hey, and he's just lying there in the snow. And I was like, whoa. Sorry, buddy. Uh, I'm just gonna go. The, I'm just gonna go back to my car now. And he didn't even move. He just lay there, looked at us, and then oh we just goodness. backed away and left. So, so my advice for families: if you're gonna go out into bear habitat in the winter time, stay on the trail. Um, most of the time, bears are not gonna go and build their den right next to a trail or next to like a campground. If they're black bears, they tend to den lower in valley bottoms, sometimes into the subalpine in the mountains. Um, but they're very lazy denners. They'll literally just like a tree falls over or they'll climb underneath it or a thick bush. Um, sometimes they'll dig into the ground and kind of make an impression that they sleep in. Sometimes it'll be in the sides of like dried up riverbeds. They'll, they'll dig right inside of the embankment. So they are out there. So if you're walking off trail in the bushes, you can accidentally disturb them. You don't hear too many stories like that though with black bears, but grizzly bears, every year we hear of cases of people getting attacked by grizzly bears in wintertime. Oh, wow. I know. Um, and guess what activities they're doing? It's, it's, it's skiing. It's downhill, like backcountry skiers and ice climbers. And it's because grizzly bears, if they're in the Rockies or in any mountainous environments, they tend to den up into high alpine slopes, those avalanche passes, big, beautiful alpine meadows that you see when you get up into the higher mountains. And so if you're like downhill, you're skiing down the mountain, um, you can absolutely ski like right over a den or by a den and wake them up and then they attack you. And so uh, that happens sometimes. So be extra kind. Right. I, I'm going, okay, what is your suggestion for these people that backcountry ski? Yeah. <laughs> Other than not to do it then. But you're like, no, you can still backcountry ski, but please go in a group, obviously. Um, do carry bear spray. We do actually recommend that. Um, you can talk to local wildlife authorities and find out if they've done any denning maps. And um, there is enough information out there that a lot of the habitat where people go backcountry skiing, like Kananaskis country in Alberta, they could actually overlay some mapping to give you an idea of where bears are most likely gonna be denning in those areas. And those are areas to avoid. Has that been done? Uh, no. <laughs> Would it be a great thing to do? Yes. Is it one of those things, high priority list things? Absolutely not. Because the chances of getting attacked by a bear in the winter while downhill skiing, or ice climbing is still very, very low. So it's, it's, it's just one of those weird things where, you know, you didn't get, a, you didn't get hit by an avalanche today, but instead you got attacked by a grizzly. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so your chances to give an avalanche are probably higher. But yeah, carry your bear spray. So anyways, I just wanted to cover bears just because we forget about them in the winter, but they are out there. So just remembering that when you get off of the trail, you are opening yourself up to disturbing them in their dens. So Right. Okay, so would you say the biggest difference then in wildlife safety in the winter months is really these winter adventures where you're going off trail? That would be... Yeah. Yeah. Getting off trail and let's say it's a warm weather day. Like you're like, whoa, there's like a real warm front that's come through. Be aware that a bear might pop out of their den and be lying there. And you'll be like, Hey, and they'll be like, Hey, I'm really hot right now. Right. So yeah. all the precautions you take beforehand. And then all the things you do, if you see a bear, those stay the same in winter. All the same. Yeah. So if you have an encounter and they approach you, you're going to spray them with bear spray because it's most likely in that case going to be a surprise. But yeah, like let's move on from bears, but I just thought I'd cover it while we're, while we're here. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. <laughs> I have a couple really random questions because sure. my sister was listening to your podcast episodes and she texted me and she said, I have so many more questions. And I said, good thing. We're having Kim back on the podcast. So she asked this question and I thought this is a very unique circumstance. I don't know if this would ever happen. And then yesterday when I was hiking, I thought this is exactly the situation she's talking about. So do you have any suggestions for people if they come in contact with a bear when they're near a cliff or a slope? That's a very interesting question. Um, is this is this related to the fact that someone recently died because they got pushed off a cliff? That could have been. Why was that in Alberta? Unfortunately, no. yeah. We had, three, we had three fatal bear attacks this year. And one of them involved a man that was running on a trail um, just outside of Wipress, Alberta, which is just west of Calgary. And um, he had an encounter with a bear. And unfortunately, because he passed, we don't have any details. Um, but the assumption is, is that likely that the bear maybe surprised him, charged at him, pushed, ran into him, and he fell off a cliff. And he took a, took a very, very big fall off a cliff, and he died from his injuries. Um, and, you know, for his from his wife's perspective, you know, at least it's not you know, he wasn't severely injured by a bear, you know, his, his, he was probably very quick, right? Um, so what do you do in a situation where you're, you're backed up and there's a cliff and you're like, I'm trying to back away and I can't leave? Is that, is that what her question yeah, was? Yeah. <laughs> and that is why we have bear spray because if you can't get out of the way. And I've been there, I got stuck on a cliff before and I was like, I got nowhere to go. <laughs> and um, you encountered a bear in this situation similar um and the bear actually climbed up the cliff band, band above me and then was on a cliff above me and I I didn't know what to do I was very much so stuck there um and I did manage to actually scare him off he was being very predatory with me circling around me and so I uh, was able to scare him off with my voice I used a zombie voice believe it or not um works like a charm <laughs> Can you show me what this sounds like I need to practice <laughs> okay perfect <laughs> Like, I don't know, maybe watch the movie The Exorcist and you'll you'll see when her head starts spinning around, like she gets really scary looking and, and she sounds like a zombie. That works. That works. It's not, been, it's not been scientifically tested though. It should be. Right. Is your anxiety level when you're around bears then in these situations so high or for you, is it like, hey, you practiced, you know what to do and you just go into that mode? Well, you know, honestly, most of the time when I'm out hiking, I don't run into bears because I'm making so much noise all the time. So when I actually do see one, I'm, I'm generally kind of shocked by it because I was like, why are you here? Um, and no matter what, I always find that my heart rate does go up. I'm sure my blood pressure does. It's because it's I know what can happen 
if I don't deal with this properly, right? right? And bears can be unpredictable. You know, most of the time you can figure your way out of it, but yeah, no matter what, I always still go, oh shoot, you know, like, how is this going to go? And so did you have to use your bear spray in that situation or did the zombie? Oh, I did not. No, I was very lucky the bear left. And um, in this case where your sister was asking, like, if you get into a situation where you're like, I don't have anywhere to go, I can't back off the trail, there's a cliff, you're just going to spray them with bear spray. So they'll usually scamper off when they get sprayed with bear spray, right? They won't be able to see it. It's been proven to be a highly effective tool. A study in Alaska found that 98% of people um, who had sprayed black bears, grizzly bears, and even polar bears, um, um, they, uh, 72 cases and 98% of those people walked away with no injuries. Wow. I know it's amazing. And honest, the biggest takeaway I can tell people too, is what I've learned from you so much, no matter where I am, even when people are saying, Oh, this isn't a spot where you need bear spray, always have your bear spray, have it on you. Easy accessible. So now I always have it in my scat belt on the front of me and I can easily grab it if I need to at some point. So it's not in my backpack. It's not tucked away. So thank you for improving that in my life. And I hope if that's the only takeaway people get from these podcasts, they remember to do that. That's awesome, Lauren. And I always see your bear spray in all of your Instagram pictures. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Like, <laughs> yes. I'm like, okay, should we to Seattle? All right. If she goes like on a trip, like from Seattle, like if you go to Ben, for example, there are cougars there, right? So like, you've got to have that bear spray. And right. Okay. So know, that was my question for you with other wildlife. If I need to, I can use the bear spray and it will help too. If you can. So it has not been tested. Bear spray has not been tested on any other species other than black bears, grizzly bears, and polar bears. So we don't have anything scientific to back it up, but we've got lots of cases. So it's anecdotal in that sense, but I have video footage of people spraying cougars in the face. I have one case, there was one case um, with a client where he was running on the trail and two cougars came across the trail in front of him, ran into the bushes. He immediately pulled out his bear spray, pulled the safety off and started looking around him. So he's being really aware of his surroundings because he didn't know where the cougar was. And all of a sudden he heard something out of the left backside. He heard a bush move, he turned and he sprayed a cougar as it launched at him. And then the second cougar launched at him, he sprayed the second cougar and they both ran off and were gone. Wow. So it is something that, you know, and our cougar, our cougar biologist, she recommended that as a, as your first line of defense. If you are about to get attacked by a cougar, use your bear spray because it's way safer to use that, get into the mucous membranes. It's most likely going to cause inflammation, swelling, and pain, and it's going to want to get away from you. And that is likely going to be the case with other species. So it's, it's worth trying on a wolf, a cougar, coyotes. I mean, coyotes are a big one. I mean, this is, you know, kids who explore, right? So we talk about like family units and like who is most at risk of getting attacked by large carnivores and it's children and statistically when we look at some recent study looking at carnivore attacks um, in North America one of the most risk enhancing behaviors that we see out there that has been leading to attacks is people leaving their children unsupervised and the three species that have primarily been attacking children are black bears cougars and coyotes So if you are recreating in those spaces and you're like, yeah, go ahead, play over at the playground, like by yourself or go play in the backyard, you know, or there's literally a small group of children and they're not supervised by adults, they are at risk. So if there's cougars in the area, if there's black bear, there's coyotes. I mean, you certainly could have some negative experiences with the grizzly bears as well, but I just always recommend the biggest thing you can do as a parent is supervise your kids when they're little, as they get older, they get bigger. And I know like my nine-year-old this year was like, can I go ride my bike over to my friend's house? And like, we just got an acreage in the mountains and like, 
it's like three acreages down from us and it's like she just wants to ride her bike on the road there and I'm just like I don't know I don't know like you know like you need to let me know that you got there okay and I just, it's just a really tough thing. Like you'll find this when they get a bit older, the whole idea of letting go to let them, you know, walk down the street by themselves is really, really hard. Right, right. Well, it's a big thing knowing we're there. Like you said, even yesterday, actually, we are on this hike and I had told my husband before that other people had saw bear encounters and my phone died. And I, I didn't have a service anyways, but then my phone died and usually he knew what time I'd be able to text him to say, okay, we're driving home. Like I could pull over on the side of the road when I got reception. And unfortunately it died and I had a couple hour drive ahead and he was just gnawing at his nails the whole time. So, <laughs> so I hope your daughter texted you right away or you figured out what you could do for her to contact you. But but yeah, like it's, it's when they start to get a bit bigger, you've got to start thinking about the fact that, yeah, like maybe they are going to go walk to the outhouse, at the campground by themselves or with their friend, or, you know, like they're going to start to be a little bit more or unsupervised as they get a bit older. So how do we manage for that as parents? Right. So it's like, okay, um, have them go in groups, um, have a call and call out. So when they get there, they have to call right away, let you know they got there. Okay. Um, and also just like ask them. So, you know, like, or talk to them, about like, what are you going to do if, you're at the playground and a coyote walks into the yard, you know, or you're at the cabin and a coyote or a cougar walks into the yard. What are you going to do? Well, most children would panic, right? They're going to scream and they're going to run. And, you know, they may, they might happen no matter what, but if you can start kind of training them into that, like saying like, okay, everyone has to group up. You're, everyone's going to make themselves look big. And then as a group, they're going to back away while yelling for a parent um, and go in the direction where there's adults. And that is the best thing you can do. And just keep that, keep that regiment of training in their heads and even practice it. Be like, okay, well, today we're going to practice at the playground. We're going to pretend there is a coyote running into the playground. What are we going to do? But it's a delicate thing too, right? Because you don't want to create fear where they're, they're going to be panicky about it. It's just helping them understand that sometimes these animals don't know what we are. And so we got to make ourselves look big and let them know that we're people. And they, so we're not a deer so that they're not misidentifying us as food. Okay. So acting big, talking loud, those are going to be relevant for all these animals, probably even beforehand so that they don't want to wander onto your trail or into your backyard too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, set your yard up in a way that doesn't attract carnivores into it. Like if you have like a salt lick in your backyard, cause you want to see deer, well, you're not just going to get deer in that backyard. You're going to get cougars. So your kids are outside playing on the swing and you've got a deer lick in the yard. They know that deer come into that yard all the time. They're going to be walking by looking for that deer. They see something small moving around radically. Ah, that's prey. They don't recognize that as, as a child, they look, they look at that and go, that's crazy. So, um, so keeping your yard free of things that attract ungulate species like elk, moose, and deer into your yard, try not to do that. Don't have, you know, um, don't leave your fruit trees going like with, with tons of fruit. And then of course that's going to draw in coyotes. Coyotes love to eat like crab apples. It's super weird. They'll even climb up the tree and, and eat the apples out of the tree. We didn't know they did this until wildlife cameras were invented. I know, weird, right? Wild. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, a study at the University of Calgary discovered that. And so like, you know, making sure you're not leaving out garbage or things that can really attract bears or coyotes or any species into your yard, especially if your children are playing outside. So that's, that's just a helpful thing. If you are going to go hiking with your kids and you're like, okay, it's winter time. We know the bears are asleep. 
but there's still cougars and there's wolves and there's, you know, there's other species that you can run into. I always remember just remember these animals are here year round. Always supervise your kids, wear a bear spray physically on you in like your scat belt, right? And dogs, dogs off leash are a big attractant. They can really pull in a cougar and other carnivores like coyotes and wolves. So always try to remind people, keep your dog on a leash. And I think in wintertime, people are like, oh, the bears are gone. I don't have to worry about anything. So they let their dog just like rip through the snow. But the problem is, is if a cougar sees that dog run by, it goes, oh, prey. And that can attract them back into into where you are and you're hiking with your kids. And then they might see your kid as a prey species too. No, that's such a good reminder. And my daughter's at the age where she's wanting to hike on her own now and wanting to run up ahead. But so then oh, yeah. I'm right there beside her running with her or right there beside her going at a slow snail's pace. So I think it is really important that everyone knows that you need to stay with your kids. There's, I know everybody wants to give their kids a little bit of freedom, but on the trails, it's not necessarily the area. <laughs> No, no, especially when the lines, when the lines of sight are bad, especially, it's not a good idea. I always say like, if you're doing a lot of switchback, there's a lot of forest uh, around you, then, you know, be arm's length away. Um, if there, if it is much more opened up, which in the wintertime it can be, especially in some areas where like, there's a lot of deciduous trees, the leaves have fallen off and you can see around you a lot more. It's okay if they're a few feet ahead of you on the trail. I always use it as a thing with, with, with my kids. She likes to kind of just like, trail behind I'm like ah, let's go I'm like, you got to stay with the group because you don't want a carnivore seeing you as food so like let's stay together as a group and we make noise together so right um, she's like okay I'm coming <laughs> <laughs> that convinces you <laughs> <laughs> so this was another question for my sister but it's another good point we had talked in the past about shuffling backwards if you see a bear so you don't trip over anything which is a really good tip. You see, these are really good things that people can hear and think about beforehand, because in the moment, if you don't know and you don't have this knowledge, then you're not going to think of it, right? Because everything probably happens so fast in reality. So do you have to maintain eye contact with the bear or is it okay to look back and make sure there's not something else back there? Sure. So we don't have any real science to back up whether or not eye contact matters. It's it's definitely in some of the literature and the videos, bear safety videos that are out there. Um, and there is actually a couple of researchers right now that are going through the current bear safety messaging. And, and basically, if they can't back up the science, they're throwing it out the window. So we're going to be seeing some new messaging, I'm hoping, in the next year. Um, that's probably going to be one of the things that gets thrown out the window. Now, for me personally, whatever the species is in front of me, I do want to be watching it, what it's doing. So if I need to look back for a second to see, you know, if there's a log that I'm going to fall over, that's probably a good idea. But be extra cautious with some of these species, especially a one that's being predatory, like a cougar, or, or if you've got a bear that's being predatory, you really do need to be watching what it's doing because it may change its position, decide to go into the forest, try to go behind you. So you really do need to keep an eye on what they're doing. So that would be my recommendation. Okay. And unfortunately, like you said, heartbreaking, more attacks have happened this year. And is that just because you said more people are getting out, which is wonderful, but maybe getting out without the knowledge they need or? Yeah, I mean, we can't directly say that those those six fatal attacks are a direct relationship to the, the population going up of people going to like places like Yellowstone or Banff because these, none, of these attacks actually, none of these attacks actually occurred within a national park. In fact, all of them occurred 
um, in just either just like a, like a local trail or it was on um, you know crown land kind of thing, right? Um, or acreages. Like one attack in Alberta involved a woman who was just walking on her own acreage and surprised a bear at close range and was killed. But what we do see as an overall trend over time is that the more people that are spending time in the outdoors, um, moving, living, recreating, working in these environments, we are seeing an increasing number of attacks by large carnivores. It's just like more people equals more problems. It's just it just makes sense from a statistical standpoint. If you have more human beings going to an area, especially when they're not educated on how to behave in those environments, um, and they do these risk-enhancing behaviors like unsupervised kids, dogs off leash, not making noise, you know, hiking by themselves. Like these are things that make it much more dangerous for you and increase your chances of getting yourself into a bad encounter. Um, and so it's it's an up it's an uphill battle, unfortunately. And I know for me during COVID, um, you know, some people were like, I don't know, did you learn how to to bake sourdough bread? I mean, some people got into it, <laughs> right? Um, I didn't, but I wanted on all the people that are making it. <laughs> yes. Um, so I decided I'd create a new website and I called it Rec Safe with Wildlife and it's recsafewithwildlife.com. And it's got like classes, a bear safety classes, um, bear spray classes for recreationists, just recreationists. And um, it's got downloadable like uh, resources you can print off for like information for your kids. You can go over on like every time you head outside, this is what we're going to go over as our list of what are we going to do if we run into a bear? How are we going to avoid, run avoid running into a bear? So I I'm just trying to like create a, a library of information and videos and stuff on there. So if anyone is who's listening today is interested, please go to, to recsafewithwildlife.com get a free membership and then you've got access to all these free resources and we'll just be uploading more and more and it's even got a forum so you can like ask questions be like hey Kim can you put like a cook can you make a, a cougar safety video and you know I will work on that right now I can't because I'm doing polar bear stuff but I do have the whole winter ahead of me thank you so much for everything you do because we do want people to get outside we do want to promote people taking their kids outside we just want them to do it safely I'll try and wrap up as quickly I always have a million things to ask you but we do want people to be cautious in winter of lots of things like avalanches, not getting caught in extreme temperatures. Is there anything else you want to touch on for people to know about wildlife safety in winter or just safety in winter? Uh, yeah, I mean, the same things apply to the summer as the winter as far as gear goes. So you're still carrying your bear spray, you're still carrying the communication device that works in that environment. So if you're in an area where there's no cell coverage, um, you're carrying a, like a Garmin inReach or a spot device, you're carrying um, a first aid kit year round. Um, I would highly recommend you buy a tourniquet if you don't have one. You should take a first aid class, wilderness first aid class, if you if you have the time to try to upgrade your training. Because if you are spending time, time in the wilderness, the more time you spend out there, um, you could run into people that, that need first aid. You yourself or your child could need first aid. It's, it's a really important skill set to have and to have a good first aid kit to, to be able to do that is, is really important. Getting one of those scat belts, hands down, can't say enough about them. I know recently a uh, scat belt was like, you know what, you talk about it so much, we should give a discount to everyone you talk to. So if anybody wants to buy one, go to scatbelt.com, you get 15% off um, and you just have to use the coupon code Kim, my name, that's it. Amazing. Um, I know they're so nice there. I love them. Yeah, those are those are those are big those are big ones for sure. Is just treat it treat it just like you do in the summer. So make noise, traveling groups, carry your bear spray, um, be aware of your surroundings, keep your kids close, dogs on leash. Those are the big things for sure. Wonderful. And can you quickly talk about the best ways to dispose of expired bear spray? So everyone, check your bear spray. Make sure it's not expired. But 
I know people have been asking then when it's expired, what's the best thing to do? So sure. So call your local municipal government and ask them, can you just drop it off at like the waste services? If there's an eco station in your town and you can drop off things like battery and paint, you normally can drop off your bear spray there as well and they'll dispose of it properly because you can't throw it in the garbage dump um, or the garbage, um, like your garbage can because it could, unfortunately, the people who are picking up your garbage, they might explode on them. So it's super dangerous for them. Right, okay. And you mentioned one place people can find you, but where else can people find you to follow along? Oh, sure. Um, so on Instagram, we're at Bear Safety Adventures. Um, it, I would highly recommend you start following us now because we are going literally to the Arctic on October 17th and I'll be at the polar bear alert. I'll be at the polar bear bear jail at some point. So if there's any polar bears in jail, which you'll be like, why is there a polar bear jail? Don't worry. It's just where they keep them if they keep getting into trouble. And then they release them out onto the ice when the ice shows up so they can be back out there in a, in, in a much safer environment than hanging around downtown Churchill. Um, so at Bear Safety Adventures on Instagram, if you're on Facebook, you'll find us at Bear Safety and More. You'll find that's right there on Facebook. Facebook is down right now, actually. I think <laughs> they're having problems. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think Instagram and everything is down right now, too. <laughs> yeah. So you can't do it right now. Not today. Um, and then, of course, RecSafeWithWildlife.com. If you're interested in our classes and, and getting a free membership, uh, go there. And we're on, we're on Twitter and we've got our, our, our other business course is Bear Safety. So bearsafety.com, you can check that out as well if you work in industry and, or government agencies, we do a lot of training with them too. Wonderful. Okay. And as always, I will link all of that up in the show notes. We'll end with our final questions, which we switched up on you. Because <laughs> usually your answer would be get a, ha get a hammock. Everyone needs a hammock. <laughs> But I don't think you bought one in the last few months. So in the last few months, what was your best purchase under $100? Okay, um, down winter booties. Oh, yes. Yeah. But okay. your kids will steal them. So buy more than one pair right. <laughs> or buy them for them. But honestly, they fit, they, like they have like a little like a zip thingy on it. So you, they can just fit on like, a kid's foot. So I have two pair of women's size and my kid wears one pair and I wear the other. And we're just in heaven running around. Like I know this winter in the snow, we'll want to jump out of the tent and you just literally throw those on and you can go sit next to the fire. Like they're awesome. Awesome. Hands down. Yeah. That is fantastic. Okay. Great answer. Can you share a book show or podcast recommendation right now? Sure. Um, so as far as uh, podcast goes, I always recommend Ologies. They are a science-based podcast and um, the host talks, talks about really cool um, different information on science and fun facts. You can get the non-swearable version of it and you, your kids could listen to it with you. I would say teenagers would probably be into it. They'll learn more than they'll ever know. And of course, with the times that we're in and celebrating the first, first national holiday and day off uh, for, for, for Truth and Reconciliation, uh, my daughter recommended the book, The Orange Shirt Story, The True Story of Orange Shirt Day. And um, it is written by Phyllis uh, Webstad, Emma Bullen, and Brock Nicole. So um, if you get a chance, give that book a read. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. And I do love that podcast too, but thank you for that book recommendation. And lastly, if there was no time or money limit, where would you travel or explore next other than Churchill? <laughs> like, why did you ask me that? Because I'm just dying to go somewhere warm. Um, right. <laughs> so when this thing is over and my child can get 
vaccinated. Um, I'm definitely uh, definitely going to be going doing a family trip to Costa Rica. Um, reason being is they are very heavy into ecotourism there, and it's a great opportunity to learn more about wildlife rehabilitation, conservation, uh, local sloth bears. Like there's some cool stuff, and I think that my my child would really love that. So it's it's, it's a very child oriented place to go um, for children, especially who love animals, which is pretty much all of them. Right. Um, so I think it'd be really fun for her to get to go there and, and get to volunteer and help um, with caring for sloths. So we're, we're wonderful. Gonna... Well, I yeah. hope you get to do that before long. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay, well, I'm excited to follow up on how it's going to Churchill. How long will you be there for? I've literally got only five days and two days, two or three days of travel. So yeah, only five days. A very expensive place to go and stay. And it's right in the middle of the polar bear tourism season. So um, I'm sure I'll be up more than once. This is just my first start. It's just my first starting meeting to get to meet the people who live in Churchill and, and hear about how they live with polar bears. It's going to be a lot of learning for sure. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much always for all that you do and for being back on today. Okay, thank you and take care. Thank you so much for having me. You too. Bye. Thanks for adventuring with us. Please subscribe and share your love by reviewing our podcast with five stars and follow us over at Kids Who Explore on Instagram and all other social media platforms.